Luke 13, verse 10, page 1046 in the Pew Bible. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Don't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour, until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching that has made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and the first who will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow and on the third day. I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God.
When I was ordained over 50 years ago, uh, Presbyterian ministers who worked in congregations always wore a clerical collar. It was a much more formal era than we have today. And the same, of course, was true in our sister church, the Church of Scotland. One former moderator of the Church of Scotland, Dr. Archie Craig, uh, tells a story about uh, giving up his parish to become General Secretary of the British Council of Churches. And he was travelling in the train one day wearing a shirt and tie. And the lady sitting across from him in the carriage noticed he was reading a theology book. And after a while she said to him, Are you a minister? And he said, Yes. Why are you not wearing a clerical collar then, she asked. He said, I'm not working in a congregation. And she looked at him kindly and then she said to him, Was it the drink? Now, I uh, haven't spoken at Kirkpatrick for about a year, haven't been uh, very regular in the attendance, uh, my attendance in the last year, and it wasn't the drink. <laughs> um, two or three Sundays a month, I uh, tend to take services in vacant congregations or up in the chapel at the Ulster Hospital. However, there's nowhere I, I, I love to be more than here on a Sunday morning with friends in Kirkpatrick and it's a special privilege today to be given the opportunity of expounding the scriptures and sharing the gospel. Now over the summer months we're going back to pick up the series of studies in Luke's gospel that we started way back in January and then paused at Easter. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapters 13 to 19, which tell the story of Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem. Today we've been listening in our reading from Luke 13 to a series of six seemingly unconnected things. A story about a sick woman, a mustard seed, yeast, a narrow door, a fox, a mother hen. And what I want to try to do is not just see what they say to us today, but also try to show how these things all tie together. I like to think of them as a string of pearls. Last weekend, one of my granddaughters, Lauren, went off to America for a month. She's away with a group of teenagers in what's called the Ulster Project. And while she's there, she's using WhatsApp to send back pictures of what strikes her every day. Other teenagers in the group will probably be doing the same. What pictures they send back, of course, will depend on what their interests are. Some will be sending back pictures of people, some will be sending back pictures of activities, of of cars, of clothes, of food, of fashion, all sorts of things. People's interests vary. Now what we have in Luke 13, the passage that we're going to be studying today, what we have here is Luke's WhatsApp collection on that last journey to Jerusalem. From all the many incidents on the journey and from the flood of words that flowed from the mouth of Jesus, here we have what Luke thought of as significant or important. This is what people, this is what Luke wanted people to know about. This is what Luke thought 
to be of eternal value. And what we today need to do is to ask, what's God saying to us through these words of Scripture? What can we learn from this string of pearls? And of course, the first pearl is a beautiful one. It's the story recorded in Luke 13:10 of a dramatic healing. Jesus attends a local synagogue on the Sabbath and is invited to speak. Incidentally, this is the last time we have any record in the Gospels of Jesus entering a synagogue. And as Jesus is teaching the people, he looks out over this little congregation and notices a woman bent over. We're told that she'd been like that for 18 years. She's physically handicapped. Remember, uh, the women, all the women would have been standing at the back and around the sides of, of the synagogue. And suddenly Jesus stops talking. His eyes focus on this lady. Suddenly half the congregation are looking at her too. And he points to her and says, Come up. Come up here. He's reaching out his hand towards her. Come here. And this poor lady shuffles up from the back to the front of the synagogue. Jesus steps out and puts his hand upon her head and says, Woman, you're set free from your infirmity. Immediately she straightens up and begins praising God. Now this was a woman that those people would have known. They are probably all living in the same village. They know all about her. And now unexpectedly and unbelievably she's healed. What a precious incident. A precious pearl. Can we imagine how we would react if something like that were to happen here at Kirkpatrick? I think we'd probably break into applause. Some of us might even weep with joy. And that's more or less what happens. We're told the people were delighted. However, the senior elder in the synagogue wasn't happy. He didn't feel any joy in this poor woman's deliverance. From his point of view, the whole thing was irregular. It was the wrong day and it was the wrong place. If it had happened the following day, it would have been all right. But there were rules and conventions that had to be remembered. And in his opinion, Jesus was flouting the clear teaching of Scripture. Jesus had his answer, of course, but, but this man's religious belief was blocking any, any compassion. It prevented him from sharing in this woman's joy. Here we see one of the great conflicts in religion. The conflict between religious law, if you like, and love. God has given us guidelines for life. They're valuable, they're important. But if they're not permeated by love, then we're rather like the ruler in the synagogue story. In our desire to be faithful to God, we can be blind to human compassion and we can drive people away from God rather than attracting them to him. And this, of course, for us, is a big problem when we become involved in discussing the various divisive moral controversies that are so 
pervasive at the present time. I may speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but if I have no love, I'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Our actions and our attitudes in every circumstance we face this coming week must be based on the primacy of love. Love trumps law. That would seem to be the teaching of Jesus. Something else, a smaller point, but equally important. When Jesus saw this poor woman in her need, he acted immediately. He didn't wait the next day as the president of the synagogue would have had him do. So often we see people in some situation and we say, I must do something about that situation. I must say something to that person. We put it off to tomorrow. We, we forget it. And half the good we want to do is never done. You know, last night when I was writing this, I thought of a, a lady called Marion over on the Ormore Road that I promised I would go to speak to. Her husband was in, in hospital and dying. And I had to stop writing and get into the car and go and see her, or else I felt I'd be a bit of a hypocrite <laughs> today. If there's something we ought to do, if there's some word we ought to say, do it today. If we read through the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark, you see, amazingly, the number of times immediately appears, the word immediately, Jesus does something immediately. When we see the opportunity, we need to do it. Jesus seized the opportunity, delivered that woman. Let's move on. The people in the synagogue were pleased for the woman, but surprised at the opposition to Jesus. Perhaps they were wondering if, in fact, his message and his, his mission was going to be stamped out. And so, to encourage them, Jesus shares with them two tiny pearls of wisdom about his kingdom. One is primarily aimed at men and the other at women. You read them there in the passage, verses 18 to 21. A tiny mustard seed can grow into a tree where birds can roost. A small amount of yeast can transform a large amount of dough. What's Jesus saying? To counter the discouragement that these people experience because of the opposition to Jesus, he's saying... This may be small now, but that's not how things will end. Of course, today we know the truth of what Jesus said. We thank God for the, the billions of people who follow Christ. However, these words about the mustard seed and yeast aren't just sayings from the past. They're promises. They're things that apply to our lives today. What we may do in life may be small, it may be insignificant, it may even seem to be ineffective. We may feel that we're achieving nothing of significance in our lives. Jesus is telling us that the seed is growing, the yeast is at work. And if we have sought in love to do some work for him, God will use that in his time for the growth of his kingdom. The journey continues. Verse 22. 
We read that Jesus moved on, going through towns and villages on the way to Jerusalem. People around him are still obsessed with numbers. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? That's the question they ask here. Jesus refuses to become involved in speculation. He answers the question by telling them, don't worry about how many will be saved. Worry instead that you will be saved. He says there's a narrow door. Make every effort to get in. The time will come when the master will close that door and you'll come knocking and pleading to get in and it'll be too late. It'll be no use saying I belong to Kirkpatrick. It's a great church, a big congregation. I went there regularly. All that may be true. We may have enjoyed being here. But did we go through the door that Jesus is concerned about? Not the door of the church from the Newton Arch Road, but the door, the entrance to the kingdom. Have we put our lives into the hands of him whom we worship here at Kirkpatrick? Worry about that. Don't waste your time on speculation about how many may be saved. That's really the essence of what he said. And so, on which side of the door are we? Inside or out? That's the question. This brings me to the fox. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, we read in verse 31, and warned him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replied, Go tell that fox, I'll drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I'll reach my goal. of Sunday nights ago actually I was over in Kirkison Park at dusk and all of a sudden a fox came out of a garden on one side of the street and as calmly as you like walked across the road and disappeared into a garden on the other it was fearless Jesus was fearless calling Herod a fox To the Jews, a fox was a symbol of three things. First, of slyness or cunning. Secondly, of callousness or cruelty. And thirdly, fox was used to describe a worthless or insignificant person. So to call Herod a fox was a very dangerous thing. Especially if you knew he was already on your trail. Go tell that fox, Jesus said. He shows no fear. You see, he'd complete confidence in his father. Complete confidence that he would be able to complete the work he was sent to do. Earlier in this service we read Psalm 91. Jesus would have known this psalm by heart. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That was the confidence that Jesus had. And the pearl of great 
price contained in this story is the truth that God the Father has a plan and purpose for our lives and even the most evil people will not be able to thwart the Father's plan. Nothing can tear us from God's hand. We will not be taken a day before our time. It's that which enables us to face the most horrible of situations. It's that which enables us to cope with the trials and troubles and tragedies that in this world we will never understand. That's why for almost 200 years Christian folk have sung that great gospel hymn, My times are in your hand. My God, I wish them there. My times are in your hand, whatever they may be, pleasing or painful, dark or bright, as you know best for me. My times are in your hand. Why should I doubt or fear? My father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear. This was the confidence that Jesus had in the face of the threat from Herod. And it's a confidence that we all can have today. Verse 14 of that Psalm 91. Because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. I will deliver him and honor him. This is the promise of God. And so to give us comfort and reassurance, Luke finishes with a beautiful picture of God and of how God feels towards us. Here's what Jesus said to the people of Israel. Here's what, here's what God says to us in Kirkpatrick today and to us in our individual lives. He said, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. What Jesus is saying here is a reflection of the psalmist's promise in that Psalm 91 verse 4. For the promise is this, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. God loves us. He longs for our response. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to shelter. He wants to shelter us and protect us as a hen shelters her chicks under her wings. Sadly, the Jewish people in Jesus' day rejected the attempt to reach out to them in love. What about us? What about us? We've come to the end of our string of pearls. A string that started with a beautiful story of the compassion of Jesus for an individual in distress. A story that ends with that wonderful picture of God's love for all of us, like a hen gathering her chicks under her wings. And in the middle of the string, we have that parable that's, that's both an invitation and a warning to us. Jesus talks about a door, a door open to the loving arms of God. An invitation and encouragement to enter is there. He's challenging those first followers and he challenges us to respond. When we lived over on the Ormer Road, I used to go to the 
the library there now and again to read the daily papers. And often I would meet a retired civil servant who'd gone to Queen's University with me. He was a bachelor with no close relatives. And he used the library as a sort of social centre. He wasn't a Christian, he had no church connections, he would talk about everything under the sun, although he wasn't too keen to talk about Christianity. Sadly, he developed cancer. His condition deteriorated, he was hospitalised. He knew that his condition was terminal. In hospital we had one or two attempts at talking about spiritual things, but there was a reluctance to speak. And it was decided that he would be transferred to the Marie Curie Hospice. We said that when he got there and in his own room, we'd have peace and privacy to have a proper conversation. I remember the morning he was transferred. I went later in the morning to see him, but he was completely exhausted after the journey and just wanted to go to sleep. I said, I'll come back in the evening. And I did. Amazingly, when I returned... He had just unexpectedly died. He was gone. I can't tell you how sad I felt. And I wondered, and I wondered, what went on in his mind as he lay that last afternoon in the hospice? Did he go through the door? Did he go through the door? None of us can answer that question. But here is one that we can answer. On which side of the door am I? Have I gone through the door? Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for that open door before us and that invitation to go and to be with you and to know your love and care surrounding us and your protection upon us each day. Give us, Lord, the courage and the wisdom to enter into that love that is awaiting us and to seek to love you in return. Loving God, help us to know that when we do that, in all the changes and chances of our lives, in all the many uncertainties we face, that you are a God we can depend on, always good, always loving, always merciful. We thank you for the assurance that whatever we may be confronted with, your love will go on reaching out. Your hand go on supporting. Your purpose go on being fulfilled. Help us to truly believe this, not just in our minds, but in our hearts. And to put our trust wholly in you. Confident that you will never fail us. Help us, Lord, to let go of the fears and anxieties that weigh us down, that hold us back, that destroy our confidence and undermine our happiness and that alienate us from one another. Help us, Lord, to receive the freedom you offer, the freedom that comes from knowing that you hold all things in your hands 
that nothing can finally separate us from your love. And give us the peace Jesus promised to all who follow him, the knowledge that we need neither be troubled or afraid, for you are with us, watching o'er us always.